Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain on limited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, January 18th, 2023. Welcome to the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast, where we finally decided to write back. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, joined by Michael F. Florio out there in the ether. Well, it's not the whole cast of specialists anymore. We got Ryan Dennis, who is uh, producing the show because someone gave the crazy idea to Randy to take the day off. What? Uh, so Randy is off today, and uh, Hytham is still sitting in and hanging out and making sure that we don't completely submarine the network with uh, what we do here. But uh, Florio, now that we're a few days removed from the end of Wild Card Weekend, have you been able to take a breath and exhale after your Buffalo Bills decided to play with their food and very nearly choked on it against the Miami Dolphins? Oh, man. So watching, even after the fumble, Josh Allen's fumble that was returned for a touchdown, I was like, they're going to win this game. It wasn't until (laughs) the Dolphins had that drive where their offense, because the offense had done nothing to that point. When they drove down the field, and scored. I was like, "Oh my god! Like this, this might actually happen." <laughs> so yeah, I'm uh, I'm very relieved now. It took me a day or two to kind of get over that. Your your Niners. I mean, they made it interesting for a half, and then just yeah. blew the doors out. Yeah, there were there were text messages flying about like we should have seen this coming. Brock Purdy is off. Uh, you know, the weather. It was like so many things of like we should have totally seen this coming. They're settling for field goals, and then the second half they just went on an avalanche, and everything was fine. <laughs> and we uh, it was. I'll say this: it was nice. Uh, having my team get their game out of the way first uh, and not have to stress out the rest of the weekend. So that part was very cool. This weekend is going to be different because they are the last game of the weekend. So now I'm going to have to like really stress about that. Uh, it's awesome. Long. When your team wins the first game, it's the worst when your team plays in that first game and loses. Cause if yeah. you're like, Did, were my team even in the playoffs? I, I don't know. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, we are going to dive into uh, what happened over the wild card weekend. We'll talk a little bit about the teams that lost and we can focus on them because the teams that won, well, there's, there's more to talk about. Of course, we will uh, preview the divisional round as well. But first, uh, do want to mention. You may have noticed we haven't been here for the last couple of weeks, and uh, that was not completely by design. So just to peel back behind the curtain, originally the plan had been to come back, uh, do a pod to wrap up the fantasy regular season, uh, and then we were going to take the break. We were always going to take last week off. That was always in the cards. But uh, after the unfortunate circumstances with DeMar Hamlin uh, collapsing on the field against the Bengals, uh, we certainly felt it wasn't right to do a pod that at that point. 
so it ended up being more of a two-week hiatus than just a one-week break. But uh, we're certainly excited and glad and thrilled and all those positive adjectives to see all the great news about Hamlin as he continues to progress uh, in his recovery. So uh, our continued prayers and thoughts and wishes uh, out to his family and his loved ones as he continues to uh, recover there. And uh, But now we're back to talking about football, fantasy football, and the whole like. So uh, we have plenty to talk about, man. It was it was a wild weekend, Florio, to say the least. So I, I came up with uh, a few things for each of the games uh, as we take a look back at Wild Card Weekend. And we'll start with the last game. In fact, uh, I, I didn't plan it this way, but it sort of worked out like I think the questions in their uh, descending importance just happened to go in reverse order of the way the games were played. So it sort of worked out. So we'll start with the last game on the schedule from the past week. The Cowboys beating the Buccaneers 31-14 to in a game that probably wasn't even that close. Uh, maybe the biggest story out of that was, you say either Dak Prescott, but we're not talking about the winners just yet. The other big story was Tom Brady. And to put it simply, he looked awful. The Bucks' offense looked awful. They had no answers for that Dallas defense. They could not move the ball consistently after the game. And I'm sure you've seen the clip going around, Mike, that uh, we, we have Brady sort of talking to the local media, talking to the fans, saying how much he appreciates their support. Uh, he hopes that uh, they enjoyed watching him and working with him. He enjoyed working with them. It sounded like a goodbye letter of sorts from Tom Brady. So the first question is, is Tom Brady done in Tampa? Do you think he's done? He certainly hasn't said yet. Uh, and if he is, does he keep playing? Your, your thoughts on what, what is the future for TB12? I, I, def, I don't think he's done playing. Uh, I, I just don't think he would have went through everything he went through this season to, to end this way and be like, all right, I'm done. Like I, I think when he came back this year and he kind of was saying, like, I don't know when I'm going to retire. Like, I think if he was leaving this season, he it, it, we would kind of already know by now. Um, but I do think he's done in Tampa. I, and I think I've thought that for a while now. Like, uh, seeing the injuries that they've dealt with this year and how things have just unraveled, the, the weirdness that we had with Bruce Arians before the season. No offense to Todd Bowles. I just don't think he's a very good coach. And mm-hmm. I, I think the Bucks are getting older and, and they're – this happens to teams, right? Like the Bucks, Brady came in at the right time when everything was aligned for them to have a two or three year run. It's hard to sustain success for much longer than that in the NFL. So I, I think Brady's going to move on from Tampa. And I think it's kind of a good thing for both sides. They, they had literally, he leads them in, uh, he leads their franchise in passing touchdowns now. He was there for three years. <laughs> like you can't say it was a bad run. He won a Super Bowl, but I, I think he's done in Tampa. I, I keep saying that this past year for Brady was a lot like that last year in New England with the, the, the Patriots in 2019. They had a better record. They were 12-4 and four that year. They ended up winning the AFC East. But it, it was not the same kind of Brady. And there were the questions then about, is this the end? You know, can he keep it going? Can he continue to play at a high level? And that year ended for the Pats with Brady throwing the pick six against the Titans in the playoffs. And there were just a whole lot of questions. And of course we know the story. He goes to Tampa. He wins a Super Bowl. Uh, he gets to the playoffs again last year, even though they, they lost. Um, but this, this year feels a little bit different in the sense that one, obviously he's older. I mean, he's, he's 45 years old now. And there were times a lot in this past year when it just looked like 
he didn't want he didn't want that smoke in the backfield. And like I'm not and I'm not saying that as a criticism, right? Because I am three months older than Tom Brady and I don't need people chasing me. I don't need Micah Parsons in my face. Uh, you know, every few minutes. Okay. So don't, don't, you know, get this twisted and saying that I'm, you know, I'm criticizing him or calling him soft or anything like that. Like I totally understand. Um, it is a different situation there. And I think you hit on one thing too. The Bucks as a team are getting older, right? I mean, Leonard Fournette has been around for a while. Mike Evans has been in the league for a while. They've got an offensive line that is sort of in need of repair. I mean, they lost some big pieces uh, after the Super Bowl win, and I think they're still trying to build it there. So there is a lot, I think, of help that the Bucks need. And I don't know if you're going to be 45, you know, 46 by the time next football season starts and you're Tom Brady and you want to be part of a rebuild because you only have a handful of years left in this league. So I do think he is done in Tampa. I'm with you. I don't think he's done playing football because I just can't imagine that that's how he wants to leave. Having had his first losing season ever, uh, having had an awful showing in the playoffs. I just don't think that is the taste that Brady wants to leave uh, in his mouth when he steps away. One thing that, that risk that I, I am holding on to from last season when, when he retired, uh, I, I listened to his podcast and he talked about uh, going out on top. And he said, while I'm not going out on top in a team way, the way I would have liked, you know, winning a Super Bowl, he's like, I went out at an MVP level and no one can ever say that I, I played poorly in this league. I, no one can ever say they, they like I've played bad. They've seen me struggle. They've seen age. We started to see that this year. And I I think someone is great. Like Brady is like Michael Jordan, right? Like they're they're crazy hardwired. They care. Like, I think regular people like Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, who clearly were on the decline and, and looked bad there last year, and they were like, all right, this is it. I feel like Tom Brady's going to use everything to be like, I want at least one more year to remind the world, like, I'm still TB12. <laughs> be a ton of avocado ice cream in the offseason <laughs> for, for Tom Brady to make sure he's ready to go again. Okay, so that being said, though, is there a spot that you look at and you say, you know what, if Tom's going to make another run, right, if it's another year, maybe two years at the most, is there a spot that makes sense for him to go to? I, I think you might like this answer. I think the 49ers are a tremendous fit for Tom Brady. Mm. He's from the Bay Area. Um, they have a good O-line. They could get him protection. And, and even more so than that, the, the signs of decline this year from Brady, in my opinion, were on the deep ball. He's mm. still, when it comes to the short to intermediate passes, he still has his fastball. He still has his pinpoint accuracy. And if there's one offense that that's all you need to, to be a top team in the league, it is the San Francisco 49ers. I'm not sure if they'll want to do it because that means moving on from Trey Lance and Brock Purdy, at least for a year. Um, I, I think most realistic is probably the Raiders. But to me, I think the best fit would be the Niners. I mean, who needs Tom Brady when you have the new Tom Brady? Why do you want the old Tom Brady when you got the new Tom Brady and Brock Purdy? I mean, they found, look, you know, the Patriots went out all these years ago and they found a sixth round quarterback to help lead them to a dynasty. Well, the Niners did them one better. They found a seventh round quarterback that seems to be on his way to helping them. To, I, don't, I don't know about that, but that's an interesting fit. I know the Raiders are sort of a popular pick. Um, I was talking with Dwayne McFarland recently, and he actually brought up an interesting point. The Dolphins could be an interesting one, mm -hmm. especially because the Dolphins lost a draft pick because of the tampering with Brady, uh, you know, a couple years ago. And they thought maybe they're going to bring him in. It didn't work out. The league penalized him the draft pick. So if you're going to get penalized for going after Tom Brady, why not actually just go after Tom Brady? And, <laughs> and, and I mean, you talk about just having accuracy and weapons out there. I mean, you've got pretty two pretty good ones 
in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell uh, that might be able to help you out there. So, yeah, there are a few spots. I know this is going to be, I'm sure, uh, a lot of off-season chatter, a lot of off-season fodder. I'm sure people will be following his real estate moves and his social media moves and all that kind of stuff. We're going to hear New England thrown in there a lot, I think. The Jets. Like, every team is going to be tied to Tom Brady at some point. Every team that, yeah, every team that kind of needs a quarterback is going to be tied into Tom Brady, definitely, in the off-season. So we will wait and see. I'm not going to speculate on it too much because honestly, uh, I I don't think the speculation matters a lot, and I don't really care about that part. <laughs> Just wake me up when he signs somewhere, and then we'll we'll move on and we'll discuss it from there. Next game on the docket from the weekend, the Bengals pull one out against the Ravens, twenty four to twenty one. That game turned obviously on the Tyler Huntley fumble at the goal line was picked up by Sam Hubbard, who ran it back with 95 yards, 98 yards, something like that uh, for the score that completely flipped the game on its head. Baltimore had a chance near the end and couldn't get it done. But I think the biggest part of the conversation was about the guy who wasn't there. And that was Lamar Jackson had been dealing with a knee injury that Originally, the team thought was only going to keep him out for a few weeks. Instead, he ended up missing the remainder of the season from week 14 on. Didn't play another game for the Ravens that year or this year. Now there's talk that maybe he wants out. I know he was posting messages on social media about his injury situation. He was also putting out cryptic messages uh, about, you know, don't you know, you're going to miss a good thing when it's gone or, or something to that that uh, effect. So I guess the simple question is, sort of like with Brady, but maybe under different circumstances, is Lamar done in Baltimore? I I don't think so, but I kind of wish he was. Uh, Baltimore <laughs> seems like an extremely toxic situation right now. Like, you had Sammy Watkins last week kind of like trying to goat Lamar Jackson into playing, and then he was like, I realize he's hurt, though. Uh, you had play like Tyler Huntley went out and played a great game. Almost pulled off the the big upset, and then you had other players being like, "Well, if Lamar was out there," and then you also had like the Ravens leaking that that Lamar wasn't there with the team, but they didn't say that he didn't travel because of an illness until Monday. Like, I I don't know. This just seems like a very toxic toxic situation in Baltimore, and for everyone who is saying like like Michael Vick. Throw a brace on it and go out and play. And I think RG3 was the ultimate defender for Lamar being like, no, you don't do that because of what happened to me. Right. Like if, you, if you want Lamar to risk his future to play a playoff game, maybe the team should have taken care of his future already. He's a free agent, right? Like I, I would have made the same decision as Lamar if I was in Lamar's shoes because as much as this game means it, it, for the team, if the team wanted Lamar out there, they easily could have paid him by now. I'm always going to be player friendly. I'm going to land Same. on the side of the player in, in most situations here. And I'm with you 100% on this one, that if you are Lamar Jackson, you have to look out for your future. And it didn't seem like the Ravens were very interested, or at least not in a major way, of locking up Lamar Jackson's future. And we saw that with the negotiations that kind of broke off once the season began. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but you're right. This feels... This feels like a breakup in the making. These two sides just don't really seem to be able to get along with one another at the moment. Uh, it just seems like this is all kind of coming to an end. And I honestly would be surprised if Lamar Jackson is back in Baltimore. I think we've seen the last of him in a Ravens uniform. I think what happened and the way this season ended for both sides has left a, a sour taste, right? Because Lamar is feeling like the team 
uh, hasn't really committed to him. And at the same time, I think the team is kind of feeling that way too, with the way things ended that Lamar, not only not playing, but not even traveling with the team to Cincinnati for that playoff game. Uh, you know, I think, I think that both sides, you know, not that it can't be fixed, but it just seems like they are really, really far apart. And with free agency coming, there are going to be a lot of teams lining up for Lamar Jackson services. That being said, if if he doesn't come back to Baltimore, or maybe Baltimore is the best fit, is there a spot you look at and say there's a great fit? I know there's one that you and I have sort of talked about privately throughout the season. Uh, is is it Baltimore? Is there somewhere else that, for fantasy purposes, we'd love to see him go? It, there's somewhere else. It's the one that you mentioned for Tom Brady. I'm pretty sure it's the one that we've talked about a lot this year. Like I I want. I, I'm saying this as a Bills fan. I want Lamar in Miami. Mm-hmm. Like he's from Miami. There's Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle. They they have a good run game there with Mike McDaniel. I love Mike McDaniel. I know a lot of people are getting on him because of the issues they had, like with with the play clock and stuff. He had a seventh round quarterback <laughs> making his first playoff start. It, it's rough, um, but yeah, I think Miami would be a really really fun situation to get Lamar. Like bring him back home. Like that they would go crazy. I think. I definitely think Miami would be a good spot because you put him back there. And here's the thing. They've got two decent running backs, right? Jeff Wilson, Lamar, uh, Raheem Mostert, they are they're good. They're not great running backs, but you put them back there with the threat of Lamar taking off, that makes them even better. And then he gets the ball out quickly to the, the receivers we talked about with Hill and Waddle. That's a scary, scary offense. I would also say maybe Atlanta would oh, be a yeah, good fit for Oh, yeah, that would be a fun him. one. Atlanta would be fun, too, because you've got a couple of pass catchers who we haven't truly seen unleashed, right? I mean, we spent all year lamenting what happened with Kyle Pitts before he got hurt. We spent the back half of the season sort of lamenting Drake London, not getting a lot of opportunities. And you got a coach who is destined, come hell or high water, to run the football in Arthur Smith. You give him a weapon like that. Um, I mean, it's, it is, you know, it's the meme where you see a picture of one guy, you hit the upgrade button, and it's another thing. So it's like you you got Marcus Mariota, you hit upgrade, and it turns into Lamar Jackson. That's a massive upgrade at quarterback. And, and then you hit upgrade on Kyle Pitts, and he becomes Mark Andrews. <laughs> right? Um, that's amazing. It would be amazing to see him in Atlanta. So there's a couple of options out there for Lamar Jackson if he decides to not go to Baltimore. And this is another situation that I think we're going to be watching. And I'll say this. I think this is going to be more intriguing than Tom Brady. Brady's interesting Agreed. because he's Tom Brady and he's been in the league for 20 plus years. Um, and he's, you know, obviously a, a Hall of Famer and all that. Um, but his best days are definitely in the rearview mirror. Lamar Jackson, I think we want to see what he can do somewhere else and what he can do with those weapons around him there. Giants going to Minnesota and pull out a win against the Vikings. 31 24, the final score in that one. Saquon Barkley, a couple of touchdowns. Daniel Jones looked very good in that game against Minnesota. And there are questions about what his future is going to be. Are the Giants going to actually pay him? That's another conversation for another time. Looking at Minnesota, though, in, I don't think you, somebody tweeted about it. I don't know if it was you or somewhere else, but talking about the last few games, actually, I think it might have been Rich Eisen. Uh, I confuse you two all the time. That uh, <laughs> <laughs> about the last few games for Justin Jefferson, and he did not have big weeks the last three games that the Vikings played. And trust me, I know as somebody who uh, sort of watched Jefferson in that week 17. Uh, me stressing out over him in fantasy and in, in my championship matchup. Uh, 
so if we're looking at the Vikings, right, Jefferson's still going to be the number one receiver off the board, certainly for Minnesota, maybe in a lot of fantasy drafts overall. But Adam Thielen is in decline. K.J. Osborne's a nice piece, but he's been hard to count on regularly. After Justin Jefferson, is there another Vikings wide receiver that we're going to have an interest in in fantasy next year? As of now, no. I, I think right now it's Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson would be the mm. other pass catcher you want in, in this offense. But I think the Vikings are going to be one of these teams that their roster could potentially look a whole lot different next season. I know they just won 13 games, but so kind of smoke and mirrors, 13-win season. Uh, yeah. But I know they have an out on... Adam Thielen, I believe they have one on Dalvin Cook if they wanted to get out of that contract. So, like, there, there's going to be a lot of decisions to be made in Minnesota. Um, but if they go in with a similar receiving core, it would just be Justin Jefferson, and, and that'd be it. But the Vikings did what the Bills did this weekend and have been doing lately and what a lot of teams have done this season. And uh, I've talked about it on the podcast a lot. It's They voluntarily take away their best weapons. They're like, all right, you're putting more defensive attention there. We're going to do what you want and not throw the ball to Justin Jefferson. I get it. it. You can't throw to him every play when he's doubled and triple teamed. But I've seen that man catch a ball sideways in the air while another <laughs> defender is holding on to it. I'm going to, at least on those final three drives, I'm throwing the ball a couple of times to Justin Jefferson. I mean, I know that's that's been a big part of the conversation is – why did Kirk Cousins check down on fourth and eight with no timeouts left when your season was on the line? Here it is. You're throwing it four or five yards short, short of the sticks. That's been a big part of the conversation. I, I don't care if he's double, triple covered. I'm throwing it up to Justin Jefferson, and I feel like I got a better shot there. I'll let him try to make the play. And if it doesn't work out, I shrug my shoulders and say, hey, look, we tried. Uh, as opposed to just sort of surrendering, which is kind of what it looked like at the end of that game there. Um yeah, I don't I don't know that the number two receiver in Minnesota is on the roster right now. I don't know if there's something they do in the draft, if they look maybe in the second round or something like that and try to get a receiver. I don't think the free agent class is going to be particularly good. I think DJ Chark is maybe uh, the most interesting name out there. But, yeah, I, and maybe he's a good fit. Maybe they, they decide they want to bring him in, but you may end up having to overpay just – if there are other teams out there that are in the market. And I don't think the Vikings are going to be willing to do that. So maybe there's somebody in the draft, but I don't think their number two receiver is actually on the roster. The other part of the Vikings is I just have this feeling that we're going to go to next year and we'll get to this time next season and talk about the Vikings as one of the big disappointments in the NFL because you know everybody made so much about their record in close games, what they were you know, undefeated, uh, I think, well, before the playoffs, I think they were undefeated in, in one-score games. That's a thing that can turn really, really easily, especially when you look at the end of the year, the point differential. They were actually minus three overall in point differential. They gave up three more points than they scored throughout the course of the year. The way it went for them this past year was either they win close games or they got blown out. Like, that was kind of it. There was really no in-between. And I feel like you see this with teams where one year they are really good in one-score games, and the next year the ball just doesn't bounce their way. They don't get those turnovers. The other team doesn't make those mistakes, and suddenly those 13 wins, you know, that 13-4 and four could very easily become, you know, 7-10, and 10, something like that, the next year. So I just, I just have this sneaking suspicion that's going to be Minnesota uh, I, during the 2023 season. I think we're heading to a bizarro world where the Lions and Bears are about to run the NFC North. That would be wild. And I'm sure Hytham <laughs> is sitting back. Our, our pal Hytham Kalani is probably sitting back there with a smile on his face, uh, just imagining that. 
Uh, <laughs> Ryan puts in Slack. Uh, Costco hot dog Kirkland Cousins. Hey, man, I just loaded up. I just loaded up with stuff at Costco recently, man. Like I side note, right? I I have I have a Costco card. It's great for like gas and stuff because the gas is super cheap there when everything else costs a gazillion dollars. Um, but like going into Costco is like it's like preparing to go on a long road trip. Like I need to get my mind right to go to Costco. And I it went is a with nightmare. The, it is a nightmare, right? I went with the wife and kid uh, a couple of days ago, and it wasn't terrible. We kind of went on a Monday, and it was a holiday Monday, but it was a Monday, and it was kind of mid morning, and it wasn't awful. Um, like, I don't know how people go to Costco on Saturday. Like it is, it is, you might as well just, you know, kiss your loved ones goodbye. It is better. It is easier to take a ring to the fires of Mount Doom than it is to go to a Costco on a Saturday. Um, but I'm one of those shoppers that has ADD. So like, I'll be like, all right, you're looking at like vegetables. Let me go grab other stuff from other parts of the store in Costco. You cannot do that because you will not find each other. <laughs> you you will never find your loved one again. <laughs> like you're just going to like, just meet me in the parking lot in an hour. And that's what we're going to do. <laughs> uh, but the pizza is fire though. And the hot dogs are still a buck 50. So shout Ooh. out to Costco. Yeah, man, we'll get you a dollar 50 hot dog at Costco. Um, Second side, I didn't really mean to get into Costco rant, but now I'm on this, so I'm just going to keep going. The other thing about it is it's weird because, like, the, the food court is outside. You don't have to go into the store to get the pizza or the hot dog, but they still want you to show your Costco card. Like, are you trying to not sell me a $1.50 hot dog? Just give me the hot dog. For real. Anyway. I think they would kill it if they just were like, whoever wants a hot dog will sell you a hot dog. Come on down. Get a $1.50 hot dog. <laughs> get, a, get a $10 whole pizza, man. Like, just, just give me the food. That's all I want. All right. Bill's Dolphins. <laughs> uh, we started the show kind of talking about this. 34-31 in a game that was significantly closer than anybody thought it was going to be. Um, you mentioned that Skylar Thompson, seventh-round draft pick, was pressed into service after Tua, uh, you know, because of multiple concussions, was forced to sit out the remainder of the season. Teddy Bridgewater was dealing with a hand injury, so he was unable to go. And look, Thompson, no one's going to confuse him with Brock Purdy, but you know what? He went out and he gave it his best effort and he kept them close, uh, you know, had a big interception late that sort of sealed their fate, I think, a little bit. But I feel like, yeah, go ahead. I would say if Hill and Waddle play like Hill, like they had some drops early on in that game, we we might be talking about the dot, like, and I'm saying, you know, I'm a huge Bills fan, but like. If those two came through early on, it could have been a completely different game. It really does. I mean, Jalen Waddle had a couple of drops, as you mentioned, early on. It just, they didn't seem like themselves. Waddle especially. It took, I feel like it took, was it like the fourth quarter, I think, before he got his first catch even in Something that like game? That. Yeah, it, it was, was It was a long time into it before he got his first catch. Uh, sort of like the Ravens, though. I feel like the biggest story was the guy who wasn't there, and that was Tua. His circumstances, obviously, very different than Lamar Jackson. Um and you know, Mike McDaniel has already said that two is their starting quarterback next year. As we sit and we look at it, because this was supposed to be a prove it year for him. This was the year that everybody said there are no more excuses, right? They brought Tyreek Hill in. This was the year he was supposed to show himself in the final reckoning for Tua Tungavailoa. Was he above, below, or at your expectations for this past season? I think he was above expectations this season. And I, I was someone who was coming into the season ranked very high on Tua. I actually, I think I had Tua ahead of Aaron Rodgers and people were not too happy with me on that. Or he might've been right behind him. I don't know. But 
the thing so many people said about Tua, right, is he can't throw a deep ball. He's accurate. Uh, he, he can get the ball out quickly, but he can't throw it deep. Well, this season, he led them with in the NFL in completion percentage, passer rating, and had a perfect next-gen stat score on passes of 20-plus air yards. And not, it wasn't even like it was close. Like He completed 54% of those passes. No one else was even at 48%. So like he ran away with it. The only negative thing about Tua was that he suffered concussions and missed time. And I am not one that is going to hold that against him. So I think Tua played great. I tweeted yesterday that if you're a Dolphins fan, you should feel really good about Tua moving forward. And then I know I came on here and said Brady and Lamar would be awesome in Miami. <laughs> uh, but I, I think if you go with Tua next year, you should be feel fine, Dolphins fans. So he played 13 games this year, missed four games this season, as you mentioned, the concussions, uh, a major part of his story. But he finished nonetheless uh, as the QB 15. I'm going through uh, 17 weeks here, 16 games. Uh, was the QB 15, was top 12 in terms of points per game, averaging 18.3, uh, almost 18.4 points per game. My, I guess, only beef with him would be just the consistency week to week. He had a huge game early in the season, 40 points. In fact, that was against the Bills, if I remember right, that 40-point game that he had uh, early in the season, had uh, a string of 20-point games kind of midway through the year, but the floor was sort of unstable for him. So that that is sort of my only knock on him. For me, he sort of hit kind of where I thought he was. I thought he was kind of a fringe QB1, and I think in the end, that's sort of what he turned out to be. So uh, I would say going forward, the next step for him would be to give you more consistency week to week. I, I don't know if I want that floor hovering around you know, 10 or 12 points. If he could get that floor up consistently to somewhere around 15 points or so, I think we really do have something. But uh, for me, he was kind of what I thought he was going to be this year. And that's better than he had been in the past. So uh, I think they're onto something. At the same time, if Tom Brady makes himself available and the Dolphins decide that that's what they want to do, mm, I kind of get it. <laughs> if they do move on, though, I think it's more of a health reason than a, a physical performance on the field. Because yeah. even like I, I've been high on Tua, I don't think he looked the same when he returned from the concussion. Um, and, and I'm happy that Miami didn't you know, press him to play and they're giving him all off season because hopefully he could come back in next season and be uh, ready to go. But if, if they do move on from him and go somewhere else, I think it's more about health concerns than, than anything else. And I think that's that's going to be the big thing for him is just getting himself healthy again and you know taking the time this off season to just make sure everything's right, because that's that's way more important than anything else. So hopefully he's able to do that. And then we'll see what happens uh, next year once the Dolphins get back on the field. Maybe the wild, not maybe, it was the wildest game of the week. Jaguars come from a 27-point deficit to beat the Chargers on a last-second field goal, a walk-off, if you will, 31-30, to 30, the final score. And I can't remember a game that was more a tale of two halves. I mean, the Jags could not figure it out in the first half. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had the four interceptions. They had a punt that bounced off one of their players' helmets and was recovered by the Chargers. I mean, it was the biggest implosion I had seen in a while, followed by the Chargers. Hashtag Chargering. And I, I mean, I tweeted it. I think it was 27 nothing. I tweeted it. I said, hey, this starts great. There's still plenty of time left for Chargering. And lo and behold, <laughs> that was absolutely the case. Um... I first off, I mean, <laughs> did you did you sit through the whole game? And if not, at what point did you remember or realize that, hey, maybe I should turn this back on again? 
I, I watched the entire game because just like you, I was like, this is not over. Like, I, I myself tweeted, I was like, great first half for Chargers fans. I was like, hey, Jags fans, don't give up yet, though. The Chargers <laughs> tend to do weird things and make games close. Uh, and, and we know people who are very close to the Chargers who tell us it doesn't matter what the score is early on. It's going to end up a one score game. So I watched it all throughout and it was a little bit bittersweet for me because these are two teams that uh, I've kind of rallied behind and have been really fun to watch and support. But uh, yeah, man, the, I, I think this could be a blessing in disguise for the Chargers because I think there needs to be changes made. Well, they have made some changes. Uh, they did let go of offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi, also quarterbacks coach Shane Day, uh, have been let go. And, you know, there I, I think there's definitely some criticism for Lombardi, right? Because you've got a quarterback in Justin Herbert who we know has a big arm and can push the ball downfield, and they sort of turned him into a checkdown guy. Uh, a lot of short throws, a lot of underneath stuff. Um, maybe some of it was just because they didn't have speed guys really on the outside, and certainly missing Mike Williams that's going to be a decision that is going to be thought about for a long time been playing in week 18 playing week 18 in a meaningless game that the Chargers ended up losing. And then you lose Mike Williams for a playoff game where he very much could have helped your offense. Uh, that's one that I'm sure people are going to always kind of pin on Brandon Staley for a while. Uh, do they need more pieces on offense? They've got the quarterback. Uh, they've got the running back in Austin Eckler. Keenan Allen is starting to get up there a little bit in age. Mike Williams has had his injury problems. Do they need another receiver or two to sort of make this thing go offensively? Yes, but it's not. They don't need like a star receiver or anything like that. Like they're covered. They they have all the firepower an offense should need with with Everett and Allen and Mike Williams and Eckler. But what I think they're missing is some speed, like you you were just saying. And maybe that's like a DJ Chark, or I, it doesn't even need to be someone like that. Like I I go back to two years ago when the Lions' offense started picking up steam in the middle of the season, and Amon Ross St. Brown broke out and stuff. It was after they added Josh Reynolds, like and, and that's all they need. They needed someone on the side to just streak downfield and and take a deep shot too occasionally. And Reynolds had like a good two game stretch when he first got there. And then defenses started playing back and stopped crowding line of the line of scrimmage as much. I think the chargers just need someone like that. Someone who could take the top off the defense who you could uh, throw, throw some deep shots too. I know that's supposed to be Mike Williams, but Williams is more of a contested catch guy downfield. You need a burner and, and that's not Joshua Palmer. It's not Deandre Carter. Like they don't have any speed at all. So I think you add that and it only helps, but to your point on what Lombardi was doing, Justin Herbert last this past season had the third lowest air yards per throw amongst quarterbacks. Only Daniel Jones and Matt Ryan were lower. And think about the Colts season and how everything went wrong there. <laughs> and think about who Daniel Jones is throwing the ball to and then compare those offenses to what the Chargers have. It's just inexcusable. I think there needs to be a big change, and there has been already. Uh, I'm curious to see who they bring in. But, yeah, I definitely think they need speed and no one loves Austin Eckler more than me. Like, I have his bobblehead back here and stuff. <laughs> I, I think he should be a luxury in the passing game and not who you build the passing game around. It, exactly. I think that's sort of the thing. He is an option. He's definitely a weapon. Uh, he shouldn't be the focal point of the passing game. And it felt a lot of times like that was sort of the case there. Um, and I guess if, if you are going to make him that, then I think you need to sort of use him sort of the way the Niners have figured out how to use Christian McCaffrey, where they will split him out and they will have him run actual routes out of the slot. You don't see that so much with Eckler. Uh, if you're just going to use him out of the backfield, then I, I think you need to figure out some options downfield. 
and I'm going through this list of free agent wide receivers, and I don't I don't see the answer to the Chargers' problems, at least in free agency. Uh, maybe there's something in the draft that that they can figure out because I don't I just don't think it's going to happen uh, on the free agent market there. Last game, uh, first game of the weekend, last game we're talking about here, the Niners. A 41-23 winner over the Seahawks in a game that, uh, again, sort of a tale of two halves. The Seahawks were pretty much perfect in the first half and had a lead going into the break against San Francisco. Then in the second half, the Niners figured it out. They started making plays. They forced turnovers. Uh, the Seahawks you know, created uh, or committed penalties, and it all sort of fell apart, and the Niners ended up with a pretty easy win. But... That shouldn't overshadow what Geno Smith did this year for Seattle. He was amazing pretty much all year long, especially for a guy that wasn't expected to be the starter at the beginning of the year. They came into the season thinking it was going to be Drew Locke. And I saw this note from our friends on the research team. Geno Smith this year had 30 passing touchdowns. In all of his other pro seasons combined, he had 34 total passing touchdowns. So that sort of tells you how much better he was this year than he had been any other year of his career. But so often we see guys who kind of catch lightning in a bottle and can't really duplicate that. Is Geno Smith a one-year wonder, or will he still not be riding us back next year? Uh, to me, because Geno Smith is a free agent, it all depends on what, where, which route the Seahawks go. Like If Geno is back with Pete Carroll, with Tyler Lockett, with DK Metcalf, I'm I'm on board with Geno Smith again. He like it wasn't just like it was smoke and mirrors and stuff. Like this guy led the league in touchdown passes of 20 plus air yards. He led the league in games with multiple passing touchdowns. Like he was consistently good. And one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately, Marcus, is like no disrespect to Russell Wilson. In his prime, he was a good player. But how much of that was this system and Pete Carroll and, and the weapons around him. And because Geno Smith came from a career backup to putting up Russell Wilson type numbers. In fact, right. he put up better numbers than Russell Wilson had been putting up down with down the stretch with Seattle. So uh, yeah, I, I think if he's there, I'm very much so in, in play. And uh, Ryan Dennis put in the chat that Carroll yesterday said, we've got our guy. I, I know Seahawks players were saying when they showed up on Sunday, Geno Smith was already in the weight room and talking about next season. So it seems like he'll be back. And if that's the case, then you could sign me up because I think they'll have even more talent around him. But if he goes elsewhere, then I'm probably out. Yeah, I I don't know that he fits anywhere else, at least not right now. I think he was so good. Now, something tells me that maybe those numbers come down a little bit, but I don't know that he necessarily falls off a cliff. I think we could see sort of a late career resurgence for Geno Smith. And as long as they kind of keep that offense intact, you mentioned DK there with Tyler Lockett there, Kenneth Walker's back. I'm, I'm curious to sort of see what happens with Rashad Penny, uh, if he's going to be back next year, because it looks like they do have a good core of offense. I could see Geno Smith coming out and, and being kind of another QB1 type, a fringe QB1 again this year. Would you draft him as a top 10 quarterback? That That's the next question. If, if you're drafting, let's say, you know, Nine quarterbacks are off the board. Geno Smith is still there. Do you make him a top 10 quarterback? Uh, I guess I should probably throw out names, but I'm too lazy to do that. <laughs> so, so, so that's the question. Probably not. Mm. Um, not saying I wouldn't rank him as such, but the way that I envision myself drafting quarterbacks next season is kind of similar to how it was this past year. Like, 
I'm going to want one of the top seven guys, and if I miss out on that group or top seven or eight, I, I think there's like a, a, a fall off after that. Then I'll probably wait even further than a Geno Smith and, and go after some upside. But I, I won't. I will not knock anyone who has Smith in his top ten. And uh, a, as we were talking about his career resurgence, I, I had the thought like, there's a hundred percent going to be a movie made one day about Geno Smith's career. I mean, they made eighty for Brady. Why can't they make like? <laughs> Hey yo for Gino or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna start workshopping a Gino Smith movie. Uh, I'm gonna that's gonna be my off season project. See see what we can do with that one there. Uh, yeah, I, I I think there's more. I think I don't think Gino's done quite yet. That seems like bad news for Drew Locke, but uh, I think I think we're gonna see Gino. Oh, it's over back to Locke, right? Hey man, he'll always have that moment when he was rapping on the sidelines. <laughs> he'll always have that with with uh, with Drew Locke. I uh, want to do a quick preseason stock or postseason stock watch, I should say. Guys who have maybe made an impact either late in the regular season or through the playoffs and what this could mean for their fantasy value heading into next year. And I'm not talking dynasty. I'm talking just more redraft at this point. Uh, Brock Purdy. Obviously, so much of what happens with him depends on what the Niners decide to do with Trey Lance and, and all their other quarterback situations. But let's just assume that somehow Brock Purdy wins himself the gig and he's the Niners starting quarterback. Uh is he is he draftable as a QB one next year? I wouldn't have him as a QB one. I, I I think he's very comparable to to Jimmy G. Um, I I tweeted yesterday some of the stats that we've seen from Purdy and, and that we saw this season from Jimmy G. And they're pretty close. But then uh, researcher Kareen Falcone, who won our fantasy live league and is very very intelligent, she <laughs> tweeted me and was just like. Purdy has attempted more passes of 20-plus air yards in one playoff game than Jimmy G in all of his playoff games combined. And I was like, okay, that gets me <laughs> excited because I know he's taking more shots downfield, but I didn't realize it was that much more. I, I don't know. You you watch the Niners a lot more than I do, Marcus. But my thinking is, like, Purdy's been great. I don't want to take anything away from him. But I think the narrative should be, like, imagine what Trey Lance could do in this offense with these playmakers around him, where it's kind of become Purdy's the guy, get rid of Lance. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole lot of conversation, and I don't think anybody's ready to come out and say it, but there's definitely some talk that that maybe Purdy is the guy. I, I think I think we're going to have a legitimate competition next year between the two of these guys. I, I'll say this. What you get out of Purdy is he is much more – uh, how do you say he's better in the pocket, right? He's much more mobile in the pocket and elusive in the pocket than Jimmy Garoppolo is. He's obviously not the runner or the athlete that Trey Lance is, but I think right now, uh, and granted, we've only seen a limited amount of Lance. I think Purdy is a better thrower than, than Trey Lance. So he's sort of in between. He kind of gives you the best of both worlds. And I think that is what's intriguing about him. And especially if you believe all the rumors that Kyle Shanahan really wanted Mac Jones and was sort of peer pressured into taking Trey Lance, uh, Brock Purdy seems to kind of be everything that you would think uh, Kyle Shanahan would want. But I'm with you. I think his ceiling fantasy-wise is sort of Garoppolo-ish, if that's a word. Uh, <laughs> and so I think, I think that's that's there. A um, couple more, just, just one or two more interesting ones. Isaiah Hodgins. He's really picked it up uh, at the end of the season. Is he the new Gabe Davis in the sense of like he showed up late in the year and he's kind of exciting and interesting? Um, I know a lot of it depends on what happens with Daniel Jones, say, but but are we going to be talking about Isaiah Hodgins this offseason the way we talked about Gabe Davis? Um, 
I, I don't think so just because I, th- I don't think we're going to be ex- as excited about Daniel Jones and the Giants offense as we were about Allen and the Bills offense coming into this season. Um, but Hodgins is really, really good. Former Bill himself, uh, he has caught every catchable target that has been thrown his way this season. And we've seen a lot of chemistry with, with him and Jones. He's replaced uh, not only Kenny Galladay, but Darius Slayton as their wide receiver one there. And, and I, I feel pretty confident saying that, like, Maybe he won't be the one next year. We got to see what they do in the offseason. But if he's one of their starters, I think he's in play as like a, uh, he would be a later round value pick, but he would certainly fit that mold. I definitely think he's a later round pick. I think he's a guy who still is kind of a depth add at wide receiver just because I don't really think the Giants passing game takes off. I also think they're going to do some things to upgrade their wide receiver room. They they have to. I mean, Kenny Galladay was a colossal bust. Uh, had one touchdown in his time with the Giants, and it came in Week 18 in a meaningless situation. So he is gone. Um, they they got to do some other things, and I don't think Isaiah Hodgins will ever be more than, say, a third wide receiver in this team. But he's played well down the stretch. I give him credit uh, for that, absolutely. Uh, take a quick break. We'll come back. We will look ahead to the divisional round of the playoffs because we got four games on tap. It should be all very interesting this weekend. That's coming up next on the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. So the divisional round kicks off on a Saturday, four games. It starts with the Jaguars at the Chiefs, 4.30 Eastern on Saturday. You can find that game on NBC. And uh, just one simple question. The Jags, obviously a big underdog in this game. What do they have to do to go into Arrowhead and upset the Chiefs this week? I think they need to play loose and play aggressive. Uh, Doug Peterson has shown that he is not afraid of taking big chances, even in the biggest stage of them all. They need to continue to play aggressive and and maybe even more so than what we've seen out of Peterson. But I think they need to kind of adapt that mentality of like, we aren't even supposed to be here right now. We have nothing to lose. They are the ones with all of the pressure on them because when teams play like that, they're scary. Yeah, no, I think that's that's absolutely the case. And I think we sort of saw some of that in the second half because. When you're down it was 27 to 7 at half, when you're down 27 nothing in the first half, 27 7 at halftime, uh, and you're facing playoff elimination, you don't have a choice. Just go out and play loose football and, and that sort of thing. Uh, they definitely need to force turnovers. I mean, they've got to figure yeah. out a way to get stops. Uh, turnovers is the best way to do it. If you can somehow force the Chiefs into threes instead of sevens, uh, that's going to be big. And I think on the other side, that means they've got to score sevens instead of threes. That means, and I think it goes to your point about being loose, being aggressive, trying to force the issue, and you know, punching it in the end zone where you can. Because you know that if you end up having to kick field goals, Patrick Mahomes is going to make you pay on the other end. No, I, no one I ever beats the scoring. Chiefs kicking field goals. Nobody ever beat the Chiefs kicking field goals. Uh, I think this is going to be a high-scoring game because Kansas City has given up some yards through the air. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I think uh, you know if, if you're playing DFS, uh, a Jaguar stack might be kind of interesting with, say, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Christian Kirk because I, I think there's a chance for the, the Chiefs uh, to score and put the, the Jaguars in a negative game script force them to throw the football. Giants at the Eagles. That's the second game on Saturday, 8-15 Eastern. That one on Fox. These two teams met twice during the regular season, obviously. The Eagles won both of them. First time was sort of a blowout. Second time, a little bit closer than I think Philadelphia wanted it to be. So is the third time the term for the Giants? I, I'm still picking the Eagles to win this game, but I 
I think it's much closer than I would have anticipated coming, obviously coming into the year. But even, you know, a few weeks ago, the Giants, just like the Jags, I think they need to play loose. They need to be with play with house money. Be like, people thought we were going to be a top five pick in the draft this season. And here we are in the divisional round. We just went into Minnesota and beat a 13-win team. Like, they, Dable, the one thing about the Giants is they're so well coached. They they are not going to beat themselves. They are going to take chances and be aggressive when the time is right. I think the biggest thing for them is they need to contain the run game of the Eagles and, and specifically Jalen Hurts. Like if Jalen Hurts is beating them with his legs, I think the Giants do not have a chance. But if they could kind of make them have to beat them through the air, I think that's their best bet. And I, I think we saw that later in the season. The Giants get better at run defense because that was a thing that early on uh, they were they were just able to – they were awful at, at run defense. Teams were running through them left and right, and I think we've seen the guys up front get a lot tougher. I think the way to win in Philly is sort of what they did in Minnesota, which is to go in, control the football, control the clock, more importantly, sort of keep the crowd out of it. And we saw that against the Vikings, some long drives, time-consuming drives – and ending those drives in touchdowns. And, and so Saquon Barkley, like being a big part of the game last week against the Vikings, can be a big part of the game this week against the Eagles. The difference being Philly's defense is quite a bit better than Minnesota's, so the, the opportunities may not be as plentiful. The upside for the Giants is you know these teams, right? You've seen them twice a year. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there. But I, I'm with you. I picked the Eagles. But there's a part of me that wouldn't be 100% surprised if the Giants went in there and maybe shocked the world a little bit and got a big win. Um, you know, we got three NFC East teams in the playoffs. We'll be down to, uh, at best, two, uh, depending on how things go this week. Turning to Sunday, the one that uh, we know Florio is going to have his eye on. It is the Bengals at the Bills, 3 o'clock Eastern, that one on CBS you know this team better than any of us here on this show. You watch them closely. You follow them closely. Uh, it felt like last week they were going out of their way to try to make a statement. They were trying to hit deep shots. They were trying to really just bludgeon the Dolphins, and it didn't work, and it sort of kept Miami in the game. Is this just a case of them trying to do too much, or all the are the Bills actually vulnerable against a good Bengals team? They're 100% vulnerable. Like, I, I am, this is the most worried I've been going into a game all season. Um, and, and you know me, typically I'm like, yeah, the Bills are going to win. Like, this is one that I'm, <laughs> I'm scared of. I, I actually told a buddy of mine that I'm more afraid of this matchup against the Bengals than I would be against the Chiefs. And my friend said that's dumb and he's probably right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm scared and, uh, it, it's, but my hope is, and I think this is the hope you take away as a Bills fan, is that that was an eye-opener for them. Like, they went into a game, up seven, first, they were up 17-zip. They probably should have been up 28-zip if Knox catches that touchdown and Shakir catches that long ball. But besides that, I, I the Bills have been a sloppy team all year long. So I'm hoping that this kind of forces them to be like, hey, no, like, we could beat anyone, but we can't beat anyone when we also beat ourselves. Um, and, and that's going to be the case this week. Luckily for the Bills, the Bengals are just as vulnerable. Like they nearly lost last week, and now they're potentially going to be without three, their top three offensive linemen. So uh, we we saw the Ravens really exploit that in the second half last week, and and the Bengals' offense changed. It went from being vertical to like Burrow needs to get rid of the ball quickly. So I think these are two teams that are both kind of vulnerable right now, uh, and I think they're like emotionally going to be vulnerable. Like this is just going to be 
I think potentially the the, the class we always get one classic each playoffs. I think this could be it just because of everything kind of coming into this game. I do think for for Buffalo, it's you know certainly emotional. They've had an emotional few weeks, right, with the Demar Hamlin uh, issue there, and then you know having to play such a close game against a team that. Look, at least on paper, the Bills were significantly better than that Dolphins team that came in last week, but they had to go down to the wire, and you got to wonder how emotionally drained they are from all of that. The Bengals, on the other hand, are just physically beat up, and that's generally what happens when you not only play a division game, but you play a, a Ravens team uh, that tends to be very, very physical there. So you mentioned the starters not being available for uh, Cincinnati. That's going to have a big impact on what happens there. But I, I do think the Bills are sort of vulnerable. They, they don't look at the end of the season like that juggernaut we saw at the beginning of the year. I mean, we saw that game against the Rams in week one, and obviously at the time we didn't know who the Rams were going to be. But I remember the first couple of weeks of the season, the Bills were just running over people. And one of my friends texted me, can't we just sim to the end when the Bills are in the Super Bowl? Um, you know, things change over the course of the season. And, and defensively, they, they have some gaps. Uh, offensively, they've missed some plays. They tried to play a lot of hero ball. So they are vulnerable. Um, if they can pull it back together, though, and look like that team we saw back in September, early October, then, then I think they go back to being one of the favorites I, in the AFC. I'm very fearful of Lou Anarumo. And if people are like, yeah. who? That's the Bengals defensive coordinator yeah. who invented the game script on how to stop Patrick Mahomes. And not only that... He's not afraid to completely be like, well, this game plan isn't working. Let's go to game plan number two and do something completely <laughs> different. So if the Bengals win, I actually think it's going to be because of their defense, not their offense. So we'll see how that goes, because that, that one does, I think, has the, the makings potentially of an instant classic this weekend. Last game of the weekend, 630 Eastern on Fox. It's the Cowboys at the 49ers. And every time the Cowboys and Niners play in the playoffs, I always flash back to to my childhood being in like, you know, high school, early college when, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, when these two teams usually played, they would play in the regular season and the winner of that one usually would get home field advantage in the NFC and then they would play in the playoffs and usually the, the team that won uh, would go to the Super Bowl a lot of times because it was the NFC championship game. It sort of feels like that now. The Niners, when everything is clicking, they are terrifying on offense. I mean, you've got four legitimate weapons there. Uh, Debo ba is back and healthy again. Can the Cowboys' defense slow down the Niners' offense the way they stymied the Buccaneers on Monday? It's going to be much, much tougher than it was to to slow down the Bucs. Um, I think it's possible. I do not envy uh, the people who have to try to game plan to stop this offense because I don't know how. Like, all right, we take away Christian McCaffrey. They have Debo Samuel. We take away him. They have George Kittle. Oh, and they also have Brandon Ayuk who could burn you downfield. Like, I don't know how you slow down this offense, but what I do think, and, and I'm pretty confident in saying this, this is also the toughest test for Brock Purdy. Mm -hmm. uh, like, the defenses he's faced, I, I would say right now that the toughest one, like, up until the Cowboys has been Washington, maybe Tampa Bay, and none of those defenses are, are close to the unit that, that the Cowboys are, but... Luckily for them, the Cowboys' secondary is pretty beat up right now. So I think Purdy's just going to kind of have to do what he does and get Debo and, and those guys the ball quickly and let them do their thing. I will say as a Niners fan, this this Cowboy defense scares me, right? The idea of Micah Parsons in that pass rush coming after Brock Purdy. And it was one thing to see him sort of dodge and sidestep. I mean, he was he was like the five Ds of dodgeball, right? Like dodge, <laughs> duck, dip, dive, and dodge. Uh, it's what he did around the Seahawks. 
it's going to be a little bit different trying to do that against the Cowboys. And so it is going to be important to get the ball out quick. Um, I think he got away with some throws against Seattle that he might not be able to get away with against Dallas. So we'll see how that goes. But if he can get into a rhythm and get the ball out to those guys quickly, whether it's McCaffrey or Ayuk, Debo, Kittle, whomever, uh, they even sprinkled in some Jawan Johnson, then I think he's going to be there. Uh, I, I do think the Niners can sort of make the Cowboys a little bit one-dimensional. We know how good they are at, uh, at stopping the run. So if they can slow down the run, uh, that's going to help. They're very vulnerable to the play action, and Dak's been very, very good. He was in, amazing with play action throws uh, against Tampa Bay, and so that could be a big weakness for San Francisco if Dak can get the passing game going through play action. Uh, Ryan mentioned it's starter jacket city. It is. Uh, Cowboy fans and Niner fans, as much as they don't like each other and they don't want to admit it, um, they're, they're kind of similar. We're all holding on to a past that is getting further and further away. I mean, you know, for as much as we like to talk about the greatness of our respective franchises, uh, we're both coming up on 30 years since we won a Super Bowl. So, uh, yeah, you want to talk about two franchises living in the past. Things have been better for, for the Niners than the Cowboys, at least as of late. A little bit better. They've been to a, they've been to a couple of Super Bowls. They haven't won any of them, but they've actually been to a couple of Super Bowls. It's been a while since the Cowboys uh, have been in that last game of the year. Woo! You know, we took we took a couple weeks off, and like I think I lost my stamina to do a, a podcast. That was a, <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot. Uh, but we got through it all. So uh, yeah, it should be a fun weekend. Uh, beyond beyond the Bills Bengals game, which I know you're going to be you breathlessly waiting for. Is there one that you are super excited about this weekend? I, I mean, not to to sound like a company man, I'm very excited about all of. The, like I think they're all fun matchups <laughs> that that kind of broke right, but. Jags Chiefs to me is the other one that I'm really excited for because this Jaguars team has so much fun. to like watch them kind of come to life and blossom before our eyes and see Trevor Lawrence become everything that he was promised to be and Christian Kirk live up to that high uh, contract that he got and they're only getting better because I a mm -hmm. lot of people keep forgetting like Calvin Ridley is already on this team and is going to be coming back next season so uh, I I I don't know if they win that game, but just to see what that young team could do against, you know, the, the class of the NFL, I'm really excited for. No, I'm with you 100%. It's, uh, it, you know, it's Vince Vaughn at the end of Swingers, and they groans up and they're groans up and they're groans up. And it is. It's, 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 watching, it's watching the Jaguars kind of grow up before our eyes. Uh, and I always think of old, old Jason Mendoza from The Good Place, man. Like, I wonder where he is right now. And, uh, you know, has he switched from Bortles to Lawrence? Because he absolutely should. Uh, at do, this point, do they so. have Waffle Houses in Kansas City? Because that's that a good question. Be where they go celebrate. So that's a good question. Like you know what? I there's there's the Google machine. Let's see. Uh, because by the way, I mean I'm sure you know. I'm sure I've told you about my uh, unhealthy. Oh, you love Waffle House. My right? unhealthy fascination with the Waffle House. Uh, yes, there are multiple Waffle Houses in the Kansas City area. So we'll see if the Jaguars pull off the upset. Does Trevor Lawrence go to a Waffle House in Kansas City? Or does he wait till he gets back home? <laughs> I know Mahomes had good things to say about Lawrence going to Waffle House last week. I don't think he'll be as happy if Lawrence ends up in a Kansas City Waffle House this week. Probably not. But uh, when I saw that, <laughs> when I saw those tweets going around, I'm like, he's my QB one now. He's a, he's <laughs> Is like Waffle House, House like your number one? Uh, I mean, it depends on what category. If you're talking about like middle of the night, uh, I'm looking for an adventure and a meal all at the same time. Absolutely, it's the one dot oh one. Like it's you know, like it's not. <laughs> it's not fine dining. You don't go there for the food. You don't go there for the service. 
you go there because you know you you might be a little bit uh, inebriated and uh, you want a meal and maybe a show to go along with it. That's why you go to Waffle House. <laughs> I've never grew up it. in an area that has them. I've only been to one like once or twice in my life. Oh no, they don't have them in California. You know, they don't have them in California. The yeah. closest one to here, I think, is like Phoenix, uh, which you know is not really just around the corner. But whenever I'm in an area with a with a Waffle House, you can damn well bet that we are going <laughs> to the Waffle House. So, so absolutely, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to make that happen the next time. In fact, I'm just put this out there, right? Because I know they put out the, the notice. I know we're going long. I don't care. Um, the, the Fantasy Football Expo, which is in August, uh, I think registration opens in the next couple of weeks. There are Waffle Houses in Ohio. In fact, when I was there last year, the first thing I did, uh, I jumped in my rental car in Cleveland. I pulled into Canton. And the first thing I did when I got to Canton was sat down and ate at a Waffle House. Uh, and I met our friend Lawrence Jackson from NBC Sports Edge in person. It was great. If we get to go this season, this summer together, uh, I, I I would love to. Oh, you're going to Waffle House. To a you Waffle House. Abs- we are absolutely going to Waffle House. <laughs> if we are going to be in Canton for the Expo, you and I will go to a Waffle House. We might just Let's eat every it. meal at Waffle House because that's I'm down. Just, that's just how I roll. Uh, are, you, scatter- are you a waffles over pancakes kind of guy? Because I like pancakes. Um, I feel like both have their place. I don't. I don't. I don't discriminate between waffles and, and pancakes. French um, toast to me is a distant third, but those two just, are very close. Yeah, it's it's just soggy bread. Like I don't know if I'm really big into French <laughs> toast. Uh, but the Waffle House, it's all about the hash browns, man. Scattered, smothered, Ooh. covered, and chunked. That is my that is my jam uh, at the Waffle House. <sighs> now I need something to eat. Um, <laughs> that feels like a good spot to shut this one down for the day. We appreciate you hanging out with us, of course, uh, as always. That'll do it for this edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Podcast. Stay happy, safe, and healthy. Do good and live well. Enjoy the playoffs this weekend, and we'll talk to you next week. Introducing the first ever Grand Highlander, a mid-sized SUV with the ideal combination of space, performance, style, and advanced tech. The roomy Grand Highlander boasts three spacious rows with available seating for up to eight. It's available 362 horsepower. Hybrid Max powertrain unlimited and platinum trims delivers the power, acceleration, and efficiency so your family can take on any adventure. There's even a standard digital key, a panoramic view mirror, and a 12.3-inch multimedia touchscreen so you always arrive on time. Live life grander in the first-ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Learn more at toyota.com slash Grand Highlander.